Romans dismantles, as John Stott said, superficial evangelism and takes you to a place deeper in your faith where you either go in or get out. There's no messing around with the book of Romans. You're either in or you're out. It is crystal clear. It dismantles you. It wrecks you. Martin Luther said it's the greatest book in all of scripture. Tony Evans calls it the theology of the church. This book changes lives. It wrecks you. And today is no exception to that. Now, Uh, For those of you that haven't been with us, we've spent the first five chapters of the book of Romans. It is, it's really Paul establishing the gospel. So he's telling you, here is what the gospel is. And he lays it out flat in a way that holds no punches and it leaves no stone unturned and it leaves nobody innocent. Paul's overarching message, one through five, is we are all sinners, we are all deserving of God's wrath and Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus was buried, Jesus rose, Jesus ascended so that we could be justified with God and righteous in his sight. It has nothing to do with me and everything to do with the free gift of Jesus Christ our Lord. That's Paul's intro, yes, to Romans 1 through 5. Now he takes a sharp turn. And in the sharp turn of chapters 6 through 8, Paul says, now you know what the gospel is. Now let me share with you what the gospel does in you. How should it begin to change you? How should it begin to transform you? Some of you were really worried after my second message of like, are you gonna, are you gonna, are you gonna bring up change though? Are you gonna bring up change? This is so ironic that we're here because I kept telling, hey, just wait till Romans six. Wait till Romans six. You're gonna get it. You're gonna hear it. You're gonna feel it. Here it is. And again, it leaves no stone unturned. In Romans chapter six, I usually read a bit on the front end, but uh, we're gonna read the entire chapter today. I had somebody else who's like, why don't you read every verse? I'm like, that's your job. Go home and read read the book of Romans, right? Um, But we're going to, it's just so cohesive. It all fits together. It's very repetitive. It's going to work really well. So I'll just read you the question. Be like, what is Romans chapter six about? What is the whole book or the whole chapter of Romans chapter six? What is Paul trying to communicate? Here it is. Romans six, one through two and Romans six, verse 15. He asked the question twice. He says, well then, Should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Of course not, Paul says. Romans 6 verse 15. Well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean that we can go on sinning. And yet again, Paul says, of course not. not. Thank you. Of course not. I was a youth pastor in another life, quite literally another life. It feels like ages and ages ago, um, back when I was considered cool. Now I just try to be cool and I'm the old man trying to be cool, right? Um, But there was this time I was a youth pastor. We had this kid named Nick. And Nick was just He was crazy. His grandparents would drop him off at church and he would sit in the furthest seat, like the 
furthest seat away. He's like, I don't want to be anywhere near what's happening up there. He'd sit in the very, very back corner. He was dressed in all black. He had these gigantic jeans on. He had chains all over him. He wore eyeliner before Adam Lambert made it cool for guys to wear eyeliner. Like this was way back. And he had this black eyeliner on and he was just, he was rough. He smelled like cigarettes all the time. He literally, I went up to him and I was like, dude, hey, I'm so glad you're here. And he said, my grandparents dropped me off. I don't want anything to do with this Jesus stuff. You leave me alone, I'll leave you alone. I won't cause any trouble. Deal. That's a deal, man. I'll take that. In fact, I actually like Nick. He scared all the homeschool kids to death. They were like, is that Satan's son? Like, what is he doing here? Oh my God. And he just, you know, he's just like, leave me alone. I'll leave you alone. We'll be cool. And we got along so well until one day, um, Nick came up to me before church. Very rare of him, right? He'd usually just sit in the very back. Came up and he said, uh, hey, he's, I'll just tell you, we're all adults in here, right? He said, my life is effed up. And he did not abbreviate, right? Said, he said, my life is really, really bad. And he said, is this Jesus stuff real? He says, is this, I'm in legal trouble. I'm using drugs. My dad ran out on my mom. My grandparents are caring for us. We live in a studio apartment. Is this real? Is this real? And so Nick is part of what we're doing. And, and one day uh, I'm, I'm preaching and as I'm preaching, give an invitation to make a decision to follow Jesus. And in the very far back corner of the room, I see, as I said, you know, lift your hand if you want to receive Jesus. I see this, this hand, and he's looking. He's like, I'll kill anybody that sees me. Right? And, he raises, and he raises his hand, and he receives Jesus. And I, and I see it, and he and I make eye contact, and I'm like... Lord, you know, we're reaching him, we're reaching him. And so afterwards, he comes walking up to me, and I'm just like, I'm giddy, right? Nick got saved, Nick got saved. And he, he comes up, and he's like, hey, so like, um, uh, like I just, you know, I, I made a decision to follow, follow Jesus. And I was like, bro, I love you. I'm so, so welcome to the family. And he's like, quit getting weird, quit getting weird. He's like, I'll take it back if you touch me. Like, don't touch me, or I'll take it back. But I made a decision to follow Jesus. And then, and this is why I always like Nick. I, I like anybody who's just a straight shooter. People who drive me nuts are the ones who act like they're perfect in here and then they treat their wife terribly. They can't quit sinning and just, you know, come back in the next week and like, oh, praise God, hallelujah. I'm blessed and highly favored, right? On Sunday mornings and then I go live like hell the rest of the week, right? Uh, Nick was not that way. Nick sits me down and he says, hey, I just want to ask you a question. He said, shoot me really straight. What do I have to stop doing? And I was like, what? And he was like, listen, I'm pretty certain I have to give up acid and mushrooms, but can I still smoke weed? <laughs> I was like, I was like, uh, no, Nick, you're gonna have to stop. And he goes, cigarettes? And I said, they won't send you to hell, but they'll make you smell like it. Like you, you just may wanna be careful with that one too. And he, was, and he literally asked, this is my favorite question from Nick. He goes, okay. Well, he said, you know, with like girls and stuff, what, what base do I have to stop at? <laughs> I, <laughs> no lie. I looked at him and I said, Nick, you're bunting now. <laughs> you're, not, you're not running the bases, pal. You're a sacrificial bunt. <laughs> 
Nick said, okay, one last thing. I don't care what you say. I hate Christian music and I love Rage Against the Machine. I'm not changing that for anything. That's my, and I said, and he said, but wait, wait a second, wait a second. This is, and this is classic Nick. He said, wait a second. He said, but if Jesus has forgiven me and Jesus keeps forgiving me, you, you see, you see? You see, He's, hey, give him credit, right? Give him credit for working the system. He said, if Jesus forgave me and Jesus keeps forgiving me, then can I keep doing what I'm doing? And I said, Nick, you're asking the wrong questions. The question is not what can I and can't I get away with? The question is this, what will this new relationship with Jesus, what will this new revelation of God's love, what will this new reconciliation with God, what will it change in me that I will want to quit doing? The question is not what can I and can't I get away with? Can I smoke cigarettes? What base do I stop at? The question is what does this newfound relationship of my heart, what does it change about me? What does it transform about me? What does it radically alter about me so that the old self that I used to live in, I used to love, and I used to, used to do the things of the old self, what do I no longer want anything to do with? That's the message that Paul is getting at today. He's getting at this, this mindset of policing behavior before having the right beliefs. You've heard me go on and on about this, but this was the Jews. Listen, how do we expect people to change if we're trying to be the Holy Spirit for them? We're turning them off. We're frustrating them. It's like, oh, you can receive Jesus and now here's your list of rules. You're bunting now, right? Versus you're following Jesus. Now here's what that grace does. That grace gives you the freedom to change. And that grace gives you, what did Paul say last week about the Holy Spirit in Romans chapter 5? It is the interpreter of God's love to our heart. The more you understand the love of God for you, the more you understand the relationship that you have with Jesus, the more you recognize your reconciliation to God through Jesus, the more you will long to change because of the relationship. So let's jump in. Paul gives three things that transform in us and what happens to us when we begin to answer this question. I'm gonna read you uh, Romans 6, one through 11. Here we go. Number one, uh, by the way, for those of you fill in the blanks or whatever, uh, grace is the power to change. That's Paul's first message when it comes to, is grace a, a opportunity for people to live and do whatever they wanna do? Romans 6, one through 11. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we've died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ in baptism, we were joined with him in his death? In verse four, for we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, underline this, now we may also live new lives. 
One of the phrases, you've heard me say this, that I cannot stand is, that's just the way I am. Oh, it drives me crazy. I'm just negative and complain a lot. That's just the way I am. I'm just angry and easily frustrated all the time. That's just the way I am. I'm just lustful and can't stay faithful. That's just the way I am. So, let me ask you something. Do you think that the God who made you has the power to change you? Do you think that the God who made you has the power to change you? Then why are spirit-filled believers who walk with Jesus saying, that's just the way I am? Guess what? You can change. You can become something new by the grace that allows you to change. Grace is the power to change. What does Paul say? He said, and just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we may also live new lives. You may be negative and you may complain all the time, but you can transform that by the power of Christ. You may be sinful and you may be addicted, but you can transform that by the power of Christ. You can live a new life. You don't have to be your mom anymore. You don't have to be your dad anymore. You don't have to be where you came from anymore. You don't have to be what they called you anymore. You don't have to be what they labeled you anymore. You don't have to be what your teacher said about you anymore. You don't have to be what your friends said about you anymore. You have the power to live a new life. That is grace. Grace is the opportunity to become somebody new. Verse five, since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that the sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer, sins, we are no longer slaves to sin. Verse seven, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power. Do you hear the word over and over? Power, sin has no power, slavery has no power. It is no longer in power over you. You have the ability to change because the power was broken. Verse 11, so you also, should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Notice this. Paul never mentions the presence of sin being gone. He mentions the power of sin being broken. He never mentions the presence of it being gone, but the word he uses over and over and over, he's speaking to the, the thing that controls you. Five out of the 11 verses, he says, the power is broken. What he's saying is the thing that controls you, the thing that owns you, the thing that, that overcomes every ounce of willpower you have and every desire that you have and every want that you have and every need that you have, that thing that controls you by the power of Christ when we die with him and we raise with him, when we receive him to be our Lord and Savior, it is broken. In 1993, apartheid was officially abolished in South Africa. Apartheid started in 1948. It was institutionalized racism by a white nationalist government in South Africa. 
they segregated the people, they broke them up into communities of white, black, colored, and Indian. The white people controlled 90% of the economy, the black and colored people had their land taken from them and were literally relegated to squatter camps and, and just pushed out of the city. The Indians were allowed to keep what they had, but they had very little presence, very little prominence, and zero power. So I've been to South Africa three different times. I love South Africa. And when I was in there, they, they were giving me this education on apartheid. And uh, some of the old uh, buildings, I mean, we're talking 1993, it was finished, right? That's within my lifetime. Okay, I was there with 40 and 50 year old pastors that were part of the segregation, that had their stuff taken from them, that were pushed out of the city, that couldn't go to the restroom inside of the buildings that we were at. So we were there and, and I remember it was so crazy. There was this sign that said colored bathrooms and it was tattered and it was beat up and it was worn down and it was barely hanging and nobody, but it, it, just the fact that it was still there, how fresh it was, right? So I'm, I'm in South Africa and I only did ministry in black and colored communities. That was who I was connected with through Rainbow Radio. Awesome, awesome, awesome men of God that I served with. So one of the pastors is named Sean Heldsinger. This dude was just an animal for the gospel. He was just this gruff, tough, heavy-fisted South African that would walk through these villages, orphanages, and squatter camps, and boy, he would spank your kid for you. He'd preach the gospel to your family. He'd ch he was the man. I loved him, right? And so I'm walking with Sean, and we're walking through this nice area. It's in Santon Square. It's Nelson Mandela Park is right there. It's in Johannesburg, South Africa. And as I'm walking through, there, there was still this old building, and it had restrooms outside before you came in. And I told Sean, I said, dude, I got to go to the restroom really quick. And he was like, okay. He said, me bro, me bro, me bro. I said, what? He said, you can use the one inside. And I said to him, so can you. And he looked at me and he smiled. And we, we'd been talking about this for a long time. He looked at me and he smiled. And he said, that is the fight, my brother. He said, that is the fight. He said, apartheid is no longer, no longer the power Right, Nelson Mandela became president. He was there till 2004 or five, I can't remember, but he, he made major transformation. There were now black people and colored people that were allowed to go and shop with the white people. There was really good traction coming and he was sharing with me all about this, but he said, even though the power was gone, the fight in his soul was still there. The thinking that he could still have to use the restroom outside. He's saying, that's the fight. It's not the power, it's the fight. In other words, it still exists in him. This is a 50 some odd year old man. He spent 35 years of his life not being allowed to go inside to go to the bathroom. And then when they say you can come inside and go into the bathroom, it didn't just change overnight. There was still that tension that exists, right? That's what Paul is saying when he talks about the slavery of sin. He's saying the power is broken, the fight is still on. The power of sin is broken over your life when Jesus becomes your Lord. The fight against it still exists. That's why he'll say later on he uses the analogy of slavery. The only difference is this, you're not enslaved anymore, you can fight sin and win. That's what he's saying, you can fight and win. Under the law, it just exposed your sin, but it gave you zero victory over it. Now Paul is saying you can fight this. And not only can you fight this, but you 
can beat this. Titus 2.14 says, Paul, Paul says he gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us and to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. I had a baseball coach one time, Coach Price. He's at the University of Kansas. He awesome dude, one of the best hitting instructors I've, I've ever been around in my life. And he had us all together and he said, guys, the difference in great hitters and guys who never make it at this level is this. The great hitters go up to the plate and they say, where am I going to hit it? He said that the ones who never make it go up and say, am I going to hit it? He said, it's that mindset. He said, some of them have this mindset that I'm gonna go up there and I'm gonna take this out and I'm gonna overcome and I'm gonna rip this ball, first pitch, fastball, 450 dead center, right? I just, I know what I'm doing and how I'm doing it. He said, the ones that never make it to the level are the ones that are saying, I wonder if I'll make contact. I wonder if, same is true with our battle. Paul, listen to this, in verses Three, six, eight, and nine, Paul says, he uses a Greek word to mean to know or comprehend. He says, we know the power of sin is broken. We know that it no longer has power. Or What he's doing is he's reminding them of their renewed mindset. In other words, we lose the battle, not because we can't win it, but we forget that we can. We lose the battle because we just start living out of not knowing what Christ has done on the cross and our union with him gives us power to do. Is grace a license to sin? No, grace is a license to freedom so that you can walk with and live in relationship with Jesus and by that relationship, you will begin to change by what God does in you. You will begin to transform. What is he, and he continues on this whole thought. So uh, now we know the power of slavery to sin is broken. In other words, Paul says, uh, enslavement and relationship are now a choice. Before you had no choice. Before Jesus, before you died with Jesus and you rose with Jesus and the power of sin was broken, there was no choice. Now Paul introduces this mindset that we have a choice and we can choose between slavery to sin or relationship with Jesus. Romans 6, 12 through 18. He says, do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master. Some of you need to hear that today because you've been following Jesus for a while, but there's this sin in your life that keeps telling you it's got you, that you can't get away. And no matter what you try to do or where you try to run or all the filters and everything else you put on your computers and everything, say sin is no longer your master. Jesus broke the power of that. For you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. There's your choice. Do I live in slavery to sin or do I live in relationship because of God's grace? Verse 15. Well then, since God's grace has set us free, here's the question again. Since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? 
Of course not. Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? Choose, notice, right? Whatever you choose to obey. You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. You have a choice. Thank God. Once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. Verse 18, now you are free from your slavery to sin and you have become slaves to righteous living. This is interesting because contextually, here's what was happening. The Jews, and you can hear it in in verses one and two and in verse 15 when he asked the question. The Jews were seeing people get saved and at the same time, they were still trying to police their Jewish ethic and they were still trying to have their liturgies in place and they were still trying to make sure that you were a good Christian doing it the Jewish way. And Paul comes with this message of grace and he's saying, let's allow the grace of God to welcome them into relationship and allow that to transform them. And here's what they say. Well, if, if we allow that grace, what if they take advantage of it? What if they take God's grace and they turn it into a license to sin and they keep doing this? What, what if that happens? So what did they do? They started creating rules and they started creating more rules. And then they started creating more rules and then they started infighting within the church because they had some people who would just get saved and right after they get saved, they would come to them with a list of rules and say, this is now your ethic and this is what you have to live by. And they're like, whoa, 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 I'm just figuring this out. And they're like, we don't care. You can't worship in our house church. You can't participate in anything with us until you're following these things, until you're living in this way. My my first college experience, I played baseball at a small Christian college in Kansas. And um, they, they, my first year there was a conservative Christian university. My first year there was the first year that guys were allowed to wear shorts on campus. Like going to, I'm talking like girls could not wear anything above the knee. You did, you're going straight to hell. Tempton Brothers, right? You're, you're in big, big trouble, right? But I mean, this was, this was, there was no, you couldn't go to rated R movies. You could not listen to secular music. You had to wear pants to class. My year was the first year you could wear shorts, but it was still your little gun shy. You're like, am I gonna get in trouble, you know? And then women, everything below the knees. And, and all of these rules began to pile up. You, you know what we're talking about, right? Who, who in here grew up Pentecostal? Don't raise your hands, don't raise your hands. But right, I mean, just rules after rules. And then what do we do? We create more rules. What are some of the more rules that we've created? What are some? No dancing. No dancing. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Right? And yet David's making a dance and a joyful noise for the Lord. Uh, no, no dancing. What else? What else? Someone told me one, they asked me one time about facial hair. Pretty sure Jesus had a beard. Pretty sure Jesus adhered to Judaism and had a beard. I'm, I'm near certain of that. To shave his beard would have been worse than to not have one. Uh, what else? Piercing and tattoos. My wife is in trouble. She's got a lot of both. (laughs) What else, right? What are these rules that we come up with? These rules that have been made. What else? Any other rules? Makeup. Oh, barn needs paint and paint the barn. I'm a fan, but no makeup. (laughs) That was harsh. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. (laughs) 
<laughs> I, ladies, rest assured, I will be in trouble for that one. You don't have to worry about it. I will be doing dishes tonight, no doubt about it. Um, what else? What are some of the other rules? Come on, Tatiana, you had one? What? Nope. Oh, no caffeine. Lord, help me. Lord, I'm pretty sure there's a book in the Bible called Hebrews, right? <laughs> that is... <laughs> done, 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 done. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Back to, uh, back to college. <laughs> rules. We create rules. And what do, we, what do we do with these rules? When people break them, we make more rules. And what is Paul saying? Paul comes along and he says, it's not rules, it's relationship. It's not rules that change you. It is relationship that changes you. You can follow all of the rules and not have a relationship. That was the Jews. They followed all of the rules, strictly followed the rules and had zero relation. You can follow all the rules and have no relationship, but when you have relationship, when you're walking in relationship, and when that relationship, by the power of the Holy Spirit, starts doing a work inside you, that relationship will change you. Back to college, okay? Um, I remember going to a rated R movie. I think it's one of the Bonds at the time, Bond had come out. And I remember going and I remember we literally had to check the parking lot and look and make sure there were no RAs. Man, RAs are the police, right? They are just, any RAs in the room? We're gonna pray for the RAs in the room. RAs are like hall monitor leaders that took their jurisdiction to the movie theater and everything else, right? And I remember I went to an R-rated movie. I was looking around to see. I remember we used to listen to secular music. I remember one time, Andre Shaw was a roommate of mine. He was listening to Tupac in the room and the RA was coming, That right? I'm just dating myself over and over and over. And the RA was coming and we were like, dude, quick, turn on Carmen, turn on Carmen. He's coming, right? <laughs> we, gotta, we gotta fix all of these things, you know? But here's what happened. Now, in my life, I, I, don't, I don't watch R-rated movies. I just, I, I try to really monitor what I allow into my spirit. I don't listen to music filled with garbage and filth. I don't listen to it anymore. But can I tell you something? It wasn't the rules in college that changed me. It was the relationship over my life, walking with Jesus. And all of a sudden, the things that I thought were normal began to convict me. And the things that I used to enjoy began to convict me. And over the process of years, I grew in this relationship to a place where I no longer long for it anymore. But when it was the rule, I was the rebel. When it became about my relationship, it transformed me. That's what Paul is talking. This is why it drives me nuts. And I, you hear me say all the time, we have to give somebody a seat at the table. How can we sit here and say relationship with Jesus changes people, but give them a list of rules before they get in a relationship? How can we say relationship with Jesus is gonna transform you? But first, let me tell you what's gonna work for you to be a part of, of, of me, of us, of who we are. No, it is the relationship and the grace and the revelation of God's love and the reconciliation to God and living in that relationship that over time will change you. You college students, you walk with God for the next 20 years, you're gonna be a different person then than you are now. 
You'll be a different person 20 years from now than you are right now. Why? Because it is the relationship that's going to change you. And it's a choice. We have the choice now to walk in this relationship. All right, and then finally, we'll wrap up here. Uh-oh, my clock's off. Means I got unlimited time, baby. <laughs> Romans 6, verse 19 through 23. Paul says, because of the weakness of your human nature, I'm using the illustration of slavery to help you understand this. There you go. He said, look, the, the only way I can rightly communicate this is to, is to use the illustration of slavery. Previously, you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which led to even deeper into sin. Now you must give yourselves to be slaves to righteous living so that you will become holy. He's going to say it again, but circle that word. The goal of your life is to become holy, not happy. It's not about being happy. It is about being holy. Holiness equals wholeness. If you want to feel whole, if you want to feel complete, if you want to feel satisfied, it is growing in holiness that will lead you to the wholeness that you desire in your life. If you feel empty, pursue holiness, not happiness. So he says it will make you holy. Verse 20, when you were slaves to sin, you were freed from the obligation to do right. Verse 21, and what was the result? You are now ashamed of the things you used to do. I would be ashamed to tell you some of the rules that I broke in college, but I'm ashamed of them now. Why? Because of my relationship with Jesus, not because of the rules. I thought the rules were stupid. It was the relationship that changed me. And and what was the result? You are now ashamed of the things you used to do, things that end in eternal doom. Verse 22, but now you are free from the power of sin and become slaves of God. There is freedom from the power. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages, just a classic verse, Romans wrote here, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. If you walk away with anything today, I want you to walk away with this. You have the power to overcome. You have, the, the chain has been broken. The door on the prison cell has been opened. It is, but you have been set free and the power has been broken. My grandparents had a, a neighbor that lived next to them and they had this super crazy little dog. You know, it was like, like field goal size, you know, like you come around, you know, it's good, you know, like, but it was just, it was just nuts. It was annoying. It was yipping all the time. It was running after us all the time. It was chasing us around everything else. And then all of a sudden we, we saw it one day and it came taking off running. I was like, all right, 40 yards, we're back out. Here we go. You know, and it just, and then it stopped right at the edge of the yard, literally just halted in its tracks. And we realized there was a trench dug all the way around the yard. They put an electric fence in. So then it became really fun, right? It was like, come here come and get it. Do you want some bacon? You know, I was like, and he's like, you know, he just couldn't get to us. And it was so cool. And then all of a sudden over time, something began to happen. 
Dog would just sit on the porch, wouldn't even, wouldn't even come running, see us, and wouldn't even come running. And then it was crazy. One of my brothers saw uh, that he didn't even have his collar on anymore. My grandfather had asked him, what's, what's going on? And he said, look, we went to change the batteries, but we didn't even need to put new batteries in it or put the collar back on him. He doesn't, even, he doesn't even run anymore. And literally this dog would sit on the porch, and he would sit on the back deck, and we would be out there. We were his favorite thing to do to chase, and now he didn't even make an effort because he thought he was stuck. Listen, if you are in here today and you feel like you are stuck in sin, you need to hear the collar is off. The thing that's held you captive is off by the power of Christ Jesus, your Lord. And you say, okay, I'm in. I realize that. I hear it. The power is broken. I don't have to sit in this prison anymore. I have the choice. What do I do next? Here is your first step. Pursue Jesus with all your heart. Let the relationship change you. you. You fathers of the faith, allow the relationship to change them. Just teach people how to love Jesus, how to walk with Jesus, how to worship Jesus. They will fix their own behavior when they begin growing in their relationship with Jesus. Your job is not the behavior police, it's the belief police. Follow Jesus, walk in relationship with Jesus, worship Jesus, and watch what changes right here.